0: One of the original SICD investigators told me the why behind his belief in this therapy. It came as he sat in his EP lab after a busy week, and he realized that he had extracted more failed ICD leads than he had implanted new ICD leads in de novo patients. When the AICD was approved in 1985, it was more like the last line of defense after virtually all other options had failed. Over the next two decades and major changes to the technology, and the evidence of large clinical trials, this method of treating sudden cardiac death has become a standard. Patients are frequently either outliving their endocardial leads, or need to have their leads extracted due to causes such as infections. Now we have a new paradigm shift. Hi there, I'm Wyatt Stahl, and I'm here to reveal what SICD technology is, where it's headed, and most importantly, why you should be paying attention. Please come along as I learn with principal researchers, examine recent studies, and follow the science to get you straight to the heart of this exciting technology. This is Leading the Charge. The SICD technology was developed specifically for patients at risk of sudden cardiac death, but without the need for pacing, which is the majority of new patients. We are no longer in the situation where patients are getting devices and they are looking for a very short period of time when that device will be able to keep them alive. Most patients today are looking forward to a long time of having this device and that device will prevent sudden cardiac death. On the other hand, it'll also mean that they're living much longer than they would have without it.
1: We're not treating them for four years. We're treating them for 10, 15 years.
0: That was Dr. Knops again. We heard from him in episode two.
1: I think that when you decide for a device for our patients and if you look at the mean age of uh, patients that we, that we treat, 60, 65 And I think we know that the complications with ICDs are further down the road and that the SICD has a lot of benefit in store for that long-term treatment as well.
0: So then other things come into play, considerations like, will this system fail? Will it need to be explanted? Uh, What's the impact of having it explanted, especially when a lead is inside the heart? What happens to the cosmetic aspects of it? All of those things come into play in particular, because the therapy is successful, all leads will eventually break. There's uh, no guarantee that any electrode will perform perfectly throughout the patient's lifetime. What we do find, though, is transvenous leads over time have a complication rate of about one in four over a 10-year span. And some of those complications can be infections, can involve the electrode itself actually having some abrasion or fracture, All of those factors go into that complication. If patients are having a lot of upper body movement, that is one thing that will accelerate the failure of an endocardial lead. Additionally, there's a very strong correlation between younger patients and the rate at which their endocardial leads fail, which is believed primarily because of their physical activity. The challenge in particular with an endocardial lead is if it does have that complication, in many cases it needs to be explanted or removed. And removing something from inside the heart, particularly after it's had time to essentially grow into the myocardium, can be very challenging. Not to mention that also affects the vasculature for future implantation. So with the SICD, not only are we not in the heart, we're also not in the vasculature.
1: And I think that comes a little bit of my uh, my daily job also as a lead extractor. I do see a lot of lead complications, but then if I look back, In the cohort of patients that I do lead extractions of, these are mostly leads that are a little bit older than four years. So I expect a lot of the longer follow-up of of the study. And I think that's also the most important take-home message is that we shouldn't look at these results as that this is the end uh, result that we need to evaluate the patient decision with regard to device type on.
0: The Optum database showed that one in four transvenous ICD patients experience a lead complication within 10 years of implant. The other side of the coin is the risk of needing Brady pacing, which is only about 1% to 2% per year. So the potential need for pacing is less than the risk of transvenous lead complication. When looking at patients who have had SICDs, one important piece of information we received from the Praetorian study, there were approximately 400 patients who had SICDs that over the Praetorian study five of them crossed over and needed bradycardia pacing.
1: Only in five patients, a Brady pacing indication developed. So that's about 1% that needed to change to a transvenous device for a pacing indication and only one patient because of repetitive need of ATP. So I think that's a very good statement showing that when you select patients for an SICD, physicians are pretty well capable of selecting patients that do not need pacing or ATP repetitively in the years to come.
0: We have devised methods. We've come through clinical trials and studies which have significantly improved our ability to identify patients in need of protection from sudden cardiac death. And now what we want to do is reduce the morbidity and mortality associated with those systems so that patients can make a better choice in terms of what would be best for their life and lifestyle. One of the questions that is oftentimes raised is, do patients prefer a pectoral device or the SICD? Because the SICD is a different implant site, but it's also a larger device compared to a pectoral ICD. And this was actually addressed in a study done by Cameron in the early studies of the SICD. And they chose patients that had previously had a transvenous device, and for reasons of lead failure or infection or other, they had to explant that system, and then they received a subcutaneous device. And the answer from patients was, they actually didn't want either, but they had a slight preference to the SICD. So I think it's important to recognize that patients aren't anxious to get either one of these devices. But it was interesting that for patients who had had a transvenous device and then got an SICD, there was a slight preference towards the SICD. And one advantage of the SICD, since it's implanted on the left medial line, essentially under the arm, that for many of those patients, that device is relatively hidden from others. And so that helps enable them to more easily return to a normal lifestyle because they don't want to appear as someone that is in need of medical therapy not to mention the fact that for many patients, there's less discomfort with that system, particularly because there's nothing in the pectoral region which might be felt with, for example, a safety belt. Another factor sometimes is literally ink. How much tattooing does the patient have? I recently attended a case where the patient really wanted the SICD for two reasons. They were a bodybuilder and did a lot of weightlifting, and the second was they had a substantial amount of tattoos on their chest. They didn't want the electrode in the transvenous system going right through a tattoo, and so they were able to avoid that. Now that is cosmetic, but cosmetics is very important. With the decision process, the first thing is to recognize that there really are more than one option. The second thing is to look at the patient and say, is there a need for pacing? Because when there's a need for pacing, either bradycardia or established need for anti-tachycardia pacing, in that case, the transvenous is the choice because it has the lead inside the heart to provide the bradycardia pacing or ATP pacing. On the other hand, that leaves you with most of the patients that don't have that pacing need. Those would all be candidates for the SICD.
1: In that sense, if you look at somebody's history, um halter monitoring, And if you know that they are free from pauses, if they don't have conduction disturbances on their EKG, then they are suitable candidates for for an SICD because based on those criteria, patients entered the Praetorian trial and we came up with this very low uh, rate of patients that needed pacing.
0: From that standpoint, it's a matter of discussing with the patient... Explaining the risks of both procedures and both systems, and seeing what is the best match for that individual. The way NEP can expose the patient and invite them to participate in that decision about what type of therapy they're getting is by mutual consent, explaining what the options are, illustrating it to the patient, and then giving the key points about each different technology along with the data. And that is the thing that really enables a patient to make a better decision.
1: So that would be my advice. Uh, Take your patient also seriously, uh, inform them of this data, and then in the shared decision-making process, decide which device is best for them.
0: One thing that's very important too is to have patients have a reasonable assessment of how frequently they might expect to have therapy. Because many patients would feel that if I have a device today, I'll probably need therapy immediately. And the reality is typically that they don't. You know, it's more like this is the emergency case you have, the emergency device for that occasional issue. Because if you think of sudden cardiac death, it's not happening all the time. Otherwise, the patient wouldn't have survived. So it's the insurance policy against the fact that they are at higher risk of having a sudden cardiac death. That is a difficult discussion for many patients, but a very key one to lay out, here is your risk. And that risk will be won over time. Many patients who go through 10 years of having a device and not having therapy, and then the question comes up with that device battery is used up, do we replace it or not? The data indicates you should because the risk still mounts year by year, and you definitely see those cases where you're 11 or 12 or 13 that's when the patient has that sudden cardiac death. The event you were worried about did finally happen, and with the patient was protected, their survival rate is extremely high. When we have clinicians that really don't feel that they've seen these particular issues, the transvenous leads, the major point to make is that over time, you will. It's a matter of statistics. Given enough patients with enough leads, those issues will come to play. Now, one key aspect of this, though, is the physician has to have some caution to not underrepresent or overrepresent a technology. We all tend to favor something we are more familiar with. It is a demand on the physician to learn enough about the different technologies that they can portray them accurately to the patient without a strong bias one way or the other. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leading the Charge. Next time, we'll dive into the untouched data, another significant trial in SICD development, particularly regarding inappropriate shock rates. But for now, that'll about do it. Thanks for joining me in Leading the Charge. I'm Wyatt Stahl. Until next time. For more information regarding the SICD and its indications for use, please visit bostonscientific.com SICD. For more information regarding SICD and its indications for use within the European Union, please visit bostonscientific.eu S-ICD.